Good morning, Chapel Hill. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. We're going to look at some verses up on the screen, but then later dig into a passage together that will have you turn to. So if you do not have a Bible with you this morning or a Bible app, just go ahead and put your hand up. And our ushers are coming around right now with Bibles, and they'll give you a Bible that you can use to follow along in. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles right now and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, please just keep the one that you receive and take it with you um, and let it be a, a door that opens up to you um, the presence of God, who he is, and all that he has to offer. Um, I want to just echo one of the things that was said in our, um, in our welcome this morning, and that is to, to come tonight um, to the celebration. I'm very, very excited about this. Um, we have represented in those who are being baptized, kids, middle school, high school, college age, and adult. And uh, this is an exciting thing for us, so um, come and share in the celebration this evening. I'm really looking forward to it. All right, let's be honest as we begin our message this morning. We're supposed to be talking about kingdom. We're trying to better understand what Jesus was talking about when he referred to the kingdom of heaven and he directed us to seek it first. Now, in our quest for understanding, we've been told that the kingdom of heaven is like an imaginary treasure that some imaginary guy found in a field. We've been told that the kingdom is like seeds that were scattered on various types of soil. We've been told that the kingdom is like wheat that grows up among weeds that were planted intentionally by a farmer's enemy. The kingdom has been compared to a mustard, mustard tree seed and is like leaven. The kingdom is like a net that caught a bunch of fish and then the fish were sorted. The kingdom is ordered backwards. The last shall be first and the first last. And that is all as clear as mud. Now last week then, we dealt head on with submission and surrender, and that message possibly felt like we were actually talking about kingdom for the first time. There has to be submission and surrender to those in charge in a kingdom. And so at least that sort of made sense. So honestly, this is a stretch for us. It certainly is a stretch for me as I attempt to teach you these things every week. Seeing what Jesus is showing us and hearing what Jesus is saying to us is challenging. My weeks would be a lot easier if I just threw together some feel-good messages about how awesome it is to be a Christian. In fact, your weeks would probably be a lot easier too, but that's not why we're here. We have been given a vision from God to move this generation from culture to kingdom. And if we believed that kingdom just meant conversion, we'd be having a different conversation. If we believed that kingdom just meant religion, we'd be having a different conversation. If we believed that kingdom is determined and described by culture first, then we'd be hearing a very different message from up here. What we believe is that the Bible contains the words of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus, we follow his words, his teaching. And if Jesus says that we're to seek his kingdom first, and God's telling us that he wants us to move this generation from culture to kingdom, then we need to listen and listen well to the words of Jesus regarding his kingdom, even if they seem a little abstract or downright odd at times. So what is the kingdom? What does it look like? How does it operate? What is it asking of me? 
Well, this morning we move from some abstract to some concrete. The two words that we're going to focus on this morning seem to line up more naturally with our cultural understanding of kingdom than some of the the word pictures that we've looked at already in this series. So today, let's start with our cultural view of kingdoms. If I say the words military kingdom, certain images come to mind. The word that immediately enters my brain is the word power. We're going to talk about power this morning. And if I say the words political kingdom, certain images and words come to mind. And after I chase all those initial images and words out of my mind, I might be left with the word promises. We're going to focus on power and promises this morning and how those relate to the kingdom of heaven Remember that Jesus told a parable of a man who discovered the treasure that is the kingdom and proceeded to sell everything he owned to purchase the field where the treasure was located. Now I think I can confidently say that this passionate, selling everything kind of pursuit does not characterize our lives all the time, at least mine, the way that it should And when I say the way it should, I'm not talking about a religious obligation type of pursuit. I'm talking about a sold out, all in, life consuming, deep inner and outer passion and drive for the kingdom. We seek God and his kingdom. If we're going to hold the kingdom up against all that this world has to offer and invite people to give up everything to pursue that kingdom, then at least two things have to happen. First of all, we have to see the value of the kingdom the way that Jesus sees the value of the kingdom. And secondly, when we hold that kingdom up before the world, we have to believe that we're holding up something that will take their breath away. We have to be convinced that we're not just holding up for them a better way of life, a solution to some of their problems, a temporary feel-good fix to their emotional state. We're holding up life itself, the very thing for which they and us were created. So we study and we examine and we dig into the kingdom of heaven and that kingdom addresses, among other things, Power and promises. So let's look at power first. This kingdom comes with power. The Bible says a lot about power, even specifically related to the kingdom. And I'm going to cover just a few things about the relationship between power and the kingdom. And hopefully this will help us see the kingdom more clearly. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is not void of power. We've mentioned before that the kingdom arrived in a way that confused many, many people who were looking for the kingdom to come with power, even military or political power, and the ability to overthrow current powers at that time. That obviously didn't happen. This Christmas season, we're going to take a good look at how the king of this kingdom came and how beautifully illogical that was. But we've already talked about the backwards nature of this kingdom, humanly speaking. Last or first, first or last. Small seeds grow into big trees, that kind of stuff. So if this is not the kind of power, military or political, that this kingdom brings, then what is? 
What kind of power comes with the only kingdom that will last forever and never, ever be defeated? There has to be power involved. Because the kingdom is challenged by various kinds of influences and other powers all the time. Let's look at a few Bible verses and, and, and get the start to our picture. Um, this is Matthew 12, 28 that I'll put up on the screen. Jesus is being accused of being Beelzebul or Satan because he cast out demons and they believed that Satan was the only one who could cast demons out. Jesus says this then. He says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This kind of power The power to cast out demons was proof of the kingdom. And this was a teachable moment for Jesus. He teaches them about demons and power, but also about the Holy Spirit, someone whom they were going to become very familiar with when he came at the day of Pentecost. But here he shows them that his ability to cast out demons by that spirit was proof that the kingdom had come. And this should be proof for me and for you as well. In Matthew 16, 19, Jesus talked about the power of the kingdom being assigned. He was decentralizing the kingdom's power. This is what he told Peter about his future and the church's future. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. See, Jesus isn't just keeping all of the power to himself. It was never his intent. God had given the human race created in God's image dominion and authority and power. He was now decentralizing the redemptive power that the Father had unleashed through him during his time on earth. We've already talked about the harvest-producing nature of the kingdom. That requires power, and that power is available to you and to me. This is what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is how the church was formed. This is the very power that for us makes all three of our core church values possible. We grow in Christ because of the presence of the Spirit in our lives, leading us into all truth. We live in love through the gifts that the Spirit creates in us. We impact the world because just as Jesus said here, we have power to make a difference, the power of the Holy Spirit. This is kingdom power. We're not done. Jesus, before giving his followers this power, told them that they had to wait. In Luke 24, 49, this is what he said. He said, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And here's a simple reminder to us from this statement. The kingdom doesn't succeed or even work without the power of God's spirit driving it. Kingdom power is not a power that we drum up ourselves. The kingdom does not depend on our power. 
The kingdom lives and breathes and operates and expands fully dependent on the power of God's spirit to drive it. Now think about that for a moment and then tie it into your understanding of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power in your life. The Spirit's power is sufficient to drive the kingdom of heaven. How sufficient then is the power of the Spirit to drive your life or mine? We underestimate him a lot. So then, having received this power, here's what happened. Acts 4.33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Really, it, it doesn't it say the apostles were such amazing, got it all together people, that their work was greatly successful and God's grace was upon them as a reward? It's not what it says. The apostles, um, not exactly a team of professional motivational speakers, spread the good news of Jesus with great power. Not from them, but from the Spirit. The kingdom expanded because God's Spirit gave the followers of Jesus Christ great power. And that power is ours, church. It's ours. It didn't expire with the passing of the last disciple. The reason the good news of Jesus reached me was through the power that was provided by the Holy Spirit. And the job's not done. Our testimony, your testimony, my testimony, the testimony of this church Powered by the Holy Spirit is every bit as powerful as Peter's testimony, as as Paul's testimony, as John's testimony. Mine is, yours is. Same power, different person, same kingdom, different place in time. Finally, let's be reminded by Paul of the place this power has in the kingdom. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Paul writes, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Paul was not focused on trying to convince people through his words of wisdom. He was focused on introducing them to the power of the kingdom of heaven, a power that is available to every human being throughout history. You and I will make a difference in this life because of the kingdom's power, not because of the subject's words. The kingdom is an unstoppable power. And you and I are connected to that power through God's spirit in us. We were taught to be being filled with God's spirit every day, all the time. Ask for that filling so that the kingdom can produce a harvest in you and through you. Second word of the day is promises. So think political kingdom. Many promises, much promising, mixed results. Not so with the kingdom of heaven. Many promises, 7,487 of them in the Bible, Do you know what God's record is on keeping those promises? 
God is delivering on his promises at a 100% completion rate. Now, he hasn't delivered on all of them yet. There are still some to be fulfilled, but the chance of his fulfilling all of them is 100%. And there are promises in the Bible directly related to the kingdom. Some about receiving the kingdom, some about what the kingdom delivers, and I want to look at a few of those with you now. The first two we're going to see are from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, this is what he says. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being promised that you will receive the kingdom of heaven is no small thing. But to whom is the promise being made? Well, that helps me understand the promise and the kingdom as well better There's a lot riding on the phrase poor in spirit here. And here's how I see it after digging into those words in preparation for this morning. To be poor in spirit in this context seems to imply, based on what I see in the origin of the words, that those who are frightened or cower in the core of their being will receive the kingdom. Now, please understand that this is not talking about cowardice. This is talking about the fear of the Lord. When our spirits, aware of the majesty and holiness of the king of the kingdom, fall to the ground in fear of the sheer magnitude of God, we get it and the kingdom comes. We talked about submission and surrender last week. Not possible without the fear of the Lord. A healthy, appropriate fear of someone so much greater than us. We realize his majesty and our insignificance in comparison to him. And in that state of understanding and humility, the kingdom comes. Very soon after that, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus promised the reception of the kingdom to those who get beat up for their faith. This is Matthew 5, verse 10. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that those who live lives according to the order of this kingdom, those who do the right things in God's eyes, those who live out what God reveals as his design for doing life and then get mistreated for doing so, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is not a reference to those who face hardship in general. That's not persecution for righteousness' sake. The good and the bad face the same kinds of circumstances that life in this world throw at us. This is specifically spoken to those who are persecuted because they live life God's way and people around them treat them badly for doing so. They counted the cost and they live according to God's will. They're beat up for it and the kingdom comes. God delivers on his promises. One of the verses that we've had in front of us throughout this series is Matthew 6.33. Jesus was talking about not worrying where your provision would come from. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
And here's an example of the reverse promise principle. The, the condition to receive the kingdom doesn't come first. This time the seeking of the kingdom leads us, leads to us receiving all that we need from God just as he promised. This is a faith verse. And this is where I want us to be as individuals and as a church. We're spending this fall focusing on the kingdom for multiple reasons. I truly want us to see and understand the kingdom to the best of our ability and beyond. I want to see that for a number of reasons. First of all, because Jesus taught us to put the kingdom first, to make it our first and best pursuit. That's reason enough. But secondly, I want us to see the kingdom for what it is. Bigger, brighter, better, and beyond the culture of this world. I also want us to embrace the kingdom wholeheartedly because Jesus promised that he would take care of all of our worries if we do. That's a promise. And I want us all, every one of us, to see that promise fulfilled in our lives. Let's finish today with a look at an incredible passage about receiving the kingdom in its fullness. I want this one to stick with us. I want it to follow us through the weeks and the months and the years ahead. We're going to have to come back to this one in the future. This is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 40. I want you to turn there now. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40. And to put it in context, this passage follows the parable of the talents. Jesus told his followers a story about some servants that were entrusted with their master's resources. What did they do with those resources? And so for some background, reading back up and read verses 14 to 30. Later, You know what? Read all of chapter 25. Just read the whole chapter. (laughs) Here now, Jesus talks about judgment at the end of time. And this isn't intended to scare us, which often happens when we read about judgment, doesn't it? This is intended to inspire us. This is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 40, and it's Jesus speaking. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And you know what, in the past church, just a little pause here, I talked to you a while back um, about reminders of Christ's return. Talked about the sunrise. If you were up this morning when I was up this morning, that was a top five sunrise right there. And man, that was a reminder to me as I drove to the church. Not today, but he's coming. It was incredible. I lost my place. Start over again. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. 
And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, like his promises made in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a promise here that the sheep will receive, they will inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. This is a great reminder that God, who does not see time the way you and I do, has a kingdom prepared already that we will inherit along with Jesus as God's children. I'll take that promise. there's something that God sees in his picture that we can't just gloss over. God sees a conversation with his children. He tells his sheep that they will inherit the kingdom. And then he starts the next sentence with the word for. Because. As a result of this. That word ties the inheritance of the kingdom to those who have lived like citizens of the kingdom. Why are you inheriting the kingdom? Because this is what the kingdom produced in you. You fed the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty, welcomed the stranger, clothed the naked, visited the sick, and went to those in prison. You've reflected the king and his kingdom in this world. Now inherit the restored world in my kingdom. And church, I don't want to stand before God and reply with, um, I didn't really do any of those things. Do you? And don't misunderstand me here. Our behavior is not what gives us the right to eternal life. Only Jesus Christ does. Jesus is talking about his kingdom. This is what life in his kingdom looks like. This is the righteousness that he talks about. This is the order of his kingdom. This is the kingdom that we're to seek. This is the kingdom life that we're to live. This is the road that leads us to the fulfillment of God's promise of an inheritance that will blow our minds. 
This is the fulfillment of the picture that God has in mind of the last days. He wants to have this conversation with us. Jesus wants to say to us, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. I want that conversation. I want to hear Jesus say that to me. And church, I want to hear him say it to you. We've been given a promise by God that we will inherit the kingdom. Can we live in the reality of that promise? So the kingdom is ours to inherit? Okay, then let's live like we've already inherited it. We're citizens of God's kingdom. And the king has set up a conversation that will happen at the end of our lives and he's shown us the script for that conversation. Can we just put ourselves there in that conversation and then live every day like we're about to have that conversation? That's kingdom living. And we are going to dig into this kingdom living thing. We have the script. Now let's live as if we're rehearsing that conversation over and over again every day of our lives. And we'll explore together what that looks like. I believe that we're beginning to see the kingdom much clearer. It comes with power. It comes with promises. It comes with Jesus the king. It comes with living lives as if Jesus is all around us and we have been given the opportunity to love him as we love others all around us throughout our lives. We do it as if we're doing it unto Jesus because he's here and he's inviting us to inherit his kingdom. And I ask the ushers to come now and the worship team as well. Will you pray with me as they come? Father, there are two things specifically that I want to thank you for this morning. First of all, I want to thank you for the power of your kingdom. I want to thank you for that unstoppable limitless power that power that nothing can overcome no matter what it is no matter what words are said against your kingdom what actions are taken against your kingdom no matter what steps are taken to ignore or deny the existence of your kingdom your kingdom will never ever be be overcome and at the very end of all things your kingdom will stand And because of your kingdom's power, you've invited us to stand with you in that kingdom. And you've invited us to receive that kingdom power and to live out every moment of every day in that power, driven by that power, dependent on that power. And so God, we invite your spirit and his power to fill us 
so that we can live in the reality of that power day in and day out. And Father, we thank you this morning for your promises. We thank you that and based on who we are and what you're doing in and through us, you're going to give us your kingdom. Based on your love for us and your unconditional acceptance of us and your, your massive forgiveness of our sins, we will receive your kingdom. Based on our humility, based on us falling on our face before you and understanding who you really are, you will give us your kingdom. based on the arrival of your spirit in our lives. We will have the power, according to the promise of Jesus Christ, to carry out the work that you've given us to do during our lives. You've promised that Jesus is coming back. You've promised that there will be a time when we will sit before the king and have this conversation that we've been talking about. God, may every single one of us hear Jesus say, as you've done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it to me. God, will you help us to live in the reality of your kingdom come right now? We know the last chapter, we know the last page of our earthly story. Help us to live in that reality that we know it and we're part of it and we're there at the end of time standing before your throne. God, I ask that you would shape us into the church and into the people who live out your kingdom every day, who look around us and see that those to whom we have done what you talked about, those whom we have served, those whom we have humbled ourselves before and taken care of and, and met needs and reached out to with hope and truth and all that you've given us to offer, reached out to with the kingdom, that in that, in that, we will see that we're doing that for Jesus. So God, lead us there, teach us, shape us, transform us, every individual and us as a church into who you want us to be. Thank you for the power that you have given us, the limitless power that comes with your kingdom. Thank you for the promises that you have made to us directly and through Jesus Christ. Thank you that you will answer every single one of those promises and we can count on your faithfulness to us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for Jesus. As we go into this week of thanksgiving, Father, help us to have Jesus on our minds and on our hearts and on our tongues first. Thanking you for him who brought to us the kingdom, the spirit. Praise you this morning for Jesus. pray all this in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen.